I think the last thing we had talked about right at the end was unholy or evil. Yes. Um, what we've been doing is trying to set the larger stage for people in the last days. Um, the scriptures speak actually more about the time of the second coming of Christ than do about the first. You'd think it would be the other way around, but not at all. As a matter of fact, it's clear that Christ's first coming was simply to accomplish the sacrifice and lay the foundations for the second coming. Um, and so we've been, we started out by taking a look at general culture. Uh, we talked about the fact that in Romans 1, 18 to 32, that Paul speaks about people in his day generally. But in his letters to Timothy, he uses an interesting phrase. He says, the Spirit expressly says that in the last days. Expressly says. In other words, the Holy Spirit said, say this. Say it exactly. This is the way it's going to be. And Timothy is the one who would inherit the work of Paul and carry on with that, was being mentored by Paul so that he might carry on faithfully with all of the counsel of God that Paul had received. So uh, we'd gotten down in our list in 2 Timothy chapter 3, got down in the list through evil or unholy. Um, and I think we pretty much got through that one. Most of us agree that days are evil. Watch the news if you don't. That's right. <clears throat> Some people are afraid of watching the news. I don't blame them. Uh, it's, of course, as we observed last week, every time you turn on the news, the most common way of <laughs> ducking your head out the door to see what's going on, you find that there's an awful lot of very evil things going on being done by very evil people, unholy people. Uh, frankly, I've gotten to the point where every night when I turn on the local news, I expect to hear about somebody being murdered, somebody being shot, drive-by shootings, hit and run, drug overdoses, fentanyl, on and on and on and on. The ways of death are very commonplace in our culture. Uh, and this is what the Lord said would happen in the days just before his return, that we would see these things. That's the main comfort. If you look at the list, that's not a comforting list. No. Uh, it does not give you warm and gushy feelings to look at the list of what man in the last days will be, which also we were until Christ touched our lives, correct? Children of wrath. Only by the grace of God do we sit here? Amen. And so, by the grace of God, you come to realize that these things that you look at with shock and amazement are looked at by other people as wallpaper. It's just the way it is. Okay, get them before they get you. Think of a young person growing up in this age that doesn't know anything different. You know, uh, when I was growing up, you know, we ride our bikes, we'd go anywhere we wanted to, free, didn't have to worry about 
all the junk that's going on today. And we had freedom. We had neighbors that met together. We had, it was a totally different culture. And young people have no concept, no idea of what that's like. They've had to grow up under the sheltering care of their parents, or they were exposed to unbelievable things. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have all this other stuff that has complicated our society. But if you're under 20, you have never experienced some of the things that we experienced because of the culture changing so drastically, so immensely, that now the morals are so fluid that they just go every which way. And we basically got to the place where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. eyes. Well, and we know where that's going to lead. Yes. Um, we're turning over rocks on Mars trying to find microscopic life from billions of years ago. <laughs> Elon Musk is pretty sure that you're going to want to live there. They're trying to escape the rapture. <laughs> <laughs> I have very bad news, bad news, for anybody trying to escape what's coming. Um, I've always wondered why you'd want to live on Mars anyway. Yeah. It's very much like, uh, it's like Death Valley without the charm. I think they, somebody, somebody read a book saying men are from Mars, and that's why they want to go. <laughs> oh yeah, where'd you hear that? <laughs> Women are from Venus, I don't know. Anyway, Rhonda, on loving. Unloving. We have loving, then we have the opposite of unloving. So sometimes I don't even, not even sure we're clear on what God's loving is. Loving one another in the scriptures and what that's all about. The definition of love is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you look at that, that perfect love that's demonstrated there, that gives us the, the foundation for what love is and what loving is. Unloving would be the opposite of those traits found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind, unloving is not kind. Have you seen the way some men treat their wives and children and other people? Unloving, not kind, not gentle. None of those things that are found in 1 Corinthians are there. They don't forgive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So unloving is a trend that's happening because you know what people love? You guys got that right away. Good for you. Way ahead of me. Yeah. People love themselves more than they love anything else. Now here is them and here's the universe. And that is, uh, that is a sad situation, but unloving is something that is growing and growing and growing. Well, it's directly contrary to the nature of God. John in 1 John made it clear, God is love. Mm -hmm. That at his heart and core, God is love. And even when he judges the evil, go back to Ezekiel, he says, as I live, says the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that the wicked should turn to me and live. If you think that God is some sadist, then you don't know him very well. 
The patience of God. Yes. The loving kindness of God. Yes. The fact that he was able to, willing and able, with much pain, to send his own son for our sins and provide redemption and salvation through him. That's the very core. That's the very heart of God. You start at Mount Sinai with the thunders and the glory and the majesty and the power of God, but you end up seated next to Christ as a friend and brother, saying you are no longer servants. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. I'll show you what you were made to be. That's the very heart of things. In other words, it's not God says, yes, I am all-powerful. I'm omniscient. All things were made by me, and without me was not anything made that was made. So don't go turning over rocks on Mars. <laughs> on the other hand, Christ sitting on a rock. In the past year, and teaching the Beatitudes. Blessed is, blessed are. These are the things that are very hard of God. Much like a, a father, a child's early experience of a father might be a little paddle standing in the corner, a dressing down when you've done poorly. But when the child comes to maturity, they are friends. And they understand what was done for them. And when they themselves have children, <laughs> they get to learn all about that. And that's, to be unloving is to reject all of those things. If you won't know God in his love, you will know him in his power. And from his power and judgment, there is no escape. Also unloving is those things that people hate. They hate things. They hate people. The prejudice that is out there. They absolutely hate other humans. I hate other uh, people. That's part of being unloving. And how much hate stuff is out there today? I mean, that's running rampant. Mm. There's, there's hate everywhere. That's the opposite of loving. That shows the unloving. So, Actually, apathy is the opposite of unloving. Yeah, indifference. Indifference. Um, in other words, to hate somebody requires some effort. To be indifferent to somebody is to not care at all. Um, but remember that they take root in the same place. It's a place of murder. You have to understand that to be unloving, to be hateful, to be cruel, vicious, that arises out of murder. The very spirit of murder is at the heart of it. It is, a, it is a wish at one level or another to destroy another person. Whether you do it by gossiping or with a switchblade, doesn't matter. 
You want to destroy them. Another attribute of unloving is unforgiving, which mm. is the next one listed in there. Unforgiving, holding grudges. Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> Generations holding grudge against each other. Won't forgive somebody. <clears throat> I've seen this destroy people so much. They get so focused in on the grudge that they're holding against somebody, wanting to get back at them, you know, and they're going to they're gonna do it just about anything to make that happen uh, because they can't forgive them. Right. Unforgiving is a horrible thing. It, it doesn't bring you peace. The other person can be totally at peace that you're mad at, and you're the one that's going through all the turmoil and stuff because you can't forgive them. You can't forget and move on. And so this is a trait that is happening more and more. You become vindictive, merciless, will not budge, just hold that grudge. Mm -hmm. And it does unbelievable things to the body. And they, if you want to read up on this from the psycho psychology point of view, you'll see how much damage it does to one's individual in mm -hmm. not being able to forgive and let go. Right. Well, the Lord makes it very clear in the Gospels. Christ says, as you show mercy, mercy will be shown to you. You will be forgiven as you forgive. Don't be merciless to people around you and then expect the forgiveness of God to just pour down upon your head. It's not going to happen. Uh, instead, you will end up with a heart that's hardening. This is one of the most important things to understand about our fallen human condition, is the possibility of the hardening of the heart. This is, this is when a person deliberately over time walks away from the light, walks away from love, walks away from kindness and gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit and all the rest of that, deliberately walks in darkness, deliberately alienates themselves, and gee, the next thing you know, their, their, their heart, the Lord said, is like a stone. And in Jeremiah, for example, he makes it very clear that in his salvation, he would take away their heart of stone yeah. and give them a living heart. Yep. That what was written in Torah at Mount Sinai would be replaced at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. It's a difference between God writing on stone, which is where they were, and God writing on the hearts of men. In other words, Mount Sinai actually pointed to Pentecost, that the, that the new covenant, that the better way, that in the fulfillment of Christ, after the sacrifice, God would literally pour his Holy Spirit upon his people. And that's what you should be aware of at all times. The only way to remain connected to a soft and living heart, like unto the Lord's, is to constantly reconnect by the power of the Holy Spirit with the heart of God himself. If you won't do that, God's not fooled. You can't deceive God. If you harden your heart, over the course of time, he'll say, let me help you with that. 
Let me drive you to the far end of that. You want despair? Really? Is that the way you want your life to be? An emptiness? A void? A place in which you walk in darkness and death? There's no exaggeration. If you will not walk in the light, you will walk in the darkness. If you reject the very heart of God, what's coming is the hand of God. You don't want to fall into the hands of the living God. Amen. So the next thing we have on our list, slanderers, slanderers. Uh, Definition one, who attacks the reputation, a backbiter, a defamer, one who disparages or belittles. Can you say politics? I mean, that's where you, that's where you see it the most, where people will backbite, they will, they will defame, they will, they will lie, they'll do all kinds of stuff to other people. However, it's not just them. It's seen everywhere. It's belittling. In fact, they call it bullying when you do that in school. And, and that has become a, a raging problem uh, on the internet, everything else. This slanderness is, is running rampant in our society today. Remember that the name Satan means slanderer. The one who bears false witnesses, the accuser. It's all the same thing, to accuse, to slander. Uh, to attempt to destroy from a spirit of murderousness, a heart of darkness. That's what he's seeking to do. And were it not, as Roman 8 make it clear, were it not for the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? We would be naked to that kind of assault. But why would you want to do the devil's work? He's named Satanas. He is the slanderer, the accuser. He doesn't need your help. Why would you join him like a dog returning to its vomit? Why would you do the deeds of darkness? And if you think that the saints are not capable of being quite the gossip and slanderer and backbiter and underminer, you got another thing coming. And yeah. oftentimes, people don't realize, but in gossip, there's plenty of slander. Oh, absolutely. Have you heard about so and so? Did you know about it firsthand? No. Well, I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Uh, when you participate in that, you are in the slandering position, and that happens a lot, people spreading gossip. Mm -hmm. Well, and you see, in our time, what, remembering the context, men in the last day will be slanderers. False witnesses, lawsuits, all the stuff that's going on in the press, the social networking, uh, yeah, you're one too, and so is your mom, and all the rest of that that goes on, amplified a million times over in social networking. Yeah. Uh, this is the way that people are going to be. This is not the calling of the children of God. Correct. Okay, we should be 
as distant as possible from that, which, by the way, goes back to being loving and merciful and yeah. kind yeah. and gentle. Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to understand. Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to understand. If you find yourself dealing with life the other way around, you're not only going to make yourself miserable, you'll make every person who has to be around you miserable. What was it? That was uh, one of Oscar Wilde's, one of my favorite Oscar Wilde quotes. Some people bring happiness wherever they go. <laughs> Others, whenever they go. Going on to the next one then, without self-control. Now this, without self-control, you see that in people who, who can't handle any kind of discipline in their life. They're, they don't have discipline. And that, that is unbelievable. Uh, let's, let's talk about um, such things as, as uh, the phone that you cannot control. I mean, uh, I don't know if you noticed it before, but you could sit down at a table and have face-to-face -face conversation, and somebody is checking emails, doing something right there. You know, there's no self-control. They're, they're tagged to this, they're tagged to... How about games? People get stuck in games. You know, it becomes addictive. Well, that really means you're not using self-control. And most of us have far more self-control than we give ourselves credit for. And when you say... I can't help it. I'm just that way. Uh, well, that's not necessarily true because you can change the way you are. Maybe not by you, but God can. But when people no longer use any kind of discipline in their life, they are not exercising any kind of self-control. And, you know, we all have problems with that one way or another. We're not talking about everything in life. You know, uh, when I see chocolate... I try self-control first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we all have areas in which we, we find about that. Now, I'll tell you, I have been able to say no to chocolate when I decide I really want to be disciplined about it. But most of the time, God wants us to have chocolate. No. <laughs> I'll pay for that one. Self-control means lacking discipline. And by the way, discipline leads right to discipleship. Uh, mm -hmm. How does that grab you? Discipline is discipleship. And we're told to go, I hit the thing too hard. It says, uh, it looks like you've fallen down. <laughs> I've watched. Thank you, I have fallen down. But I can get up. Anyway, that, that, that whole thing about uh, understanding that, you, that discipleship is discipling, it means you're under discipline. Those who lack discipline lack self-control. And un, one of the things of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. The opposite. So is, are, are you surprised to see the world going with this, do, do what I want to do, and they don't have discipline not to do it? You know, they're just drawn to it. They're addicted. A lot of addictions aren't true addictions. 
Mm. A lot of times it's just lack of self-control because they can't. You know, you, uh, have you ever watched somebody change their behavior when they're with other people? Yeah. That's self-control. Mm-hmm. So when they say, ah, oh, that's just the way I am, and then they get with other people and they're not that way, huh? Huh? That's pretty interesting. You do have control when you want to have control. You know, that's, that's the interesting thing. So that is running rampant in our society and in the world. No self-control. Two words. Will Smith. What a slap across the face that was. Well, no, and I I, I say that as a real fan of Will Smith. I've always always enjoyed his acting and was as astonished as anyone else because that was a long walk up there. You had to walk a ways, and you had to walk all that way without thinking twice, thinking better, uh, and figuring a different way, probably in private with Chris Rock. Okay? But the fact is, that was a moment in which he was without self-control. He simply indulged the self. In other words, if you will not control yourself, you'll end up indulging yourself. Just automatically. So, and I mean, that leads to the next attribute. If you take a look at it, we're talking about what happens when we see the brutal come along. You see, the one leads almost automatically to the other. When we don't exercise self-restraint, when we are allowing the old man to rise up, we're right back to two other words, Abel, Cain. The righteous son who's imploring his brother to offer the proper sacrifice at the right time versus the son of darkness who will bloody well not do that because my sacrifice is just as good as yours. Heck, if he had waited two days, it would have been the proper sacrifice. Just two days. They knew about the seasons. They knew about the sacrifices. They had been instructed on these things. When Israel had God talk them through the seven appointed times, he was reintroducing it, not introducing it. That wasn't the first time it had been taught. It was known to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. That's why there was a rebuke. This is, I'll tell you flat out, it was Passover. The sacrifice was supposed to be a lamb. Gee, I wonder why. The next day, unleavened bread. Third day is first fruits. He brought first fruits to Passover. To a blood sacrifice. Can't do that. I, I'll give you one of my sheep. You can have a lamb, brother. And in a couple of days, I'll need your produce, your first fruits. The response was a brutal one. God himself warned him, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. You must resist it. 
He didn't. He indulged it. So he had no self-control. And he rose up in a brutal murderous act and killed him. And then sat around feeling sorry for himself when God said, what have you done? So the one tends to go with the other. That's why you have people that'll do drive-by shootings, road rage. Road rage is bad. People who are disgruntled former employees, people who break up with somebody and the next thing you know they're stalking them, all the rest of this sort of stuff. Uh, it's a good thing it happens because otherwise an awful lot of TV fare wrapped around true crime would not be there. Once again, bullying. We're never going to run out of true crime stuff until the Lord returns because this is what happens when people walk in the darkness and are indulging themselves and their brutality. This is the very murderousness. I, frankly, I look, at, I look at so much of what goes on, I cannot believe that a human being could be so hard-hearted against another human being. How can you possibly strangle a 12-year-old? How can you possibly rape a woman who's in her 80s and then throw her out of a window or stab her to death? And you didn't just stab her. You stabbed her 80, 90, 100, 120 times. Okay? Satan has got you. And there's different levels of that brutality, but you see it in our society all over the place. Brutality is part of what's going on in our world today. That includes people like Putin that are coming in brutally, brutally coming in, not just trying to take over a country, but brut through brutality mm -hmm. he is doing it. And that's, that's common among a lot of people who don't even realize they have brutality in their system. Oh. And that, that leads to being despisers of those who are good. Well, that's just organized murder. That's organized murder is right. You know, that's nationalistic. But it's not even nationalistic. This is about Putin's vision of empire. As we talked about a few weeks back, this is, this is what happens when a person who is entirely in the darkness yes. uh, takes over a country with a long-term plan that leads to all sorts of wonderful things for him and vast suffering for everybody else. We can make a long list of various leaders throughout history, and I assure you they are in very, very, the very lowest circles of hell are reserved for such. And if you have a problem with hell, you need to go back to the scriptures the thing, that is, the thing that is coming for those outside of the Lord is so awful that it cannot be imagined or expressed. So people who are murderers, you can look at the end of the book of Revelation. Go look at Revelation 22. You'll find the Lord says, here are the, here are the kinds of people that are not going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. There's an interesting list of people there, too. We have despisers of good. These are the people who not only do evil, but they actively hate those who don't or won't. Goody two-shoes. Sure. That's what they used to call people, you know. Uh, 
People that are doing what's right, they make fun of. Oh, so you're following the rules, you know, all the different things. And this has grown even worse because people, people, uh, because of how they feel, because of the conviction they're under, they lash out by making fun of and despising those who do right and do what's good. They, it's, it's beyond that. Despi- despising someone is yet another for a form of hatred, which is right back down to murder. Yep. Right back down to murder. Um, I mean, bullying in school is the sort of thing. As a, as a teacher myself, I was hot death on bullying. I had run into bullying when I was growing up. I found a few well-placed punches took care of that. We're not advocating that? Well, no, I'm just telling you what happened. Uh, but the fact is that as I, as I grew up and then as I became a believer, you come to see the heart of darkness that stands behind bullying it's a it's a it's a terrible form of murder. It's an early form of murder. It's what happens when human beings treat each other with contempt, with hatred, scoffing and mocking and all the rest of that. Um, anyone who did that anywhere near me as a teacher was in deep doo doo. You didn't get away with it. I don't care if you were my student or not. I don't care if you're in my, the grades that I teach or not. Instant, instant nuclear action happened. As it should be. It is a form of moral cowardice to allow such evil anywhere. Amen. And any adult who does that is complicit in the crime. An accomplice to the destruction of a human being right in front of them. And if you do nothing in the face of that, your silence is your guilt. That sin belongs to you. So, despisers of the good. Traitors. David? We think of traitors as somebody who gives loyalty and then doesn't carry through. Uh, and goes on the opposite side. Uh, And you see people who are attached to something and then the next thing you know, they turn the opposite direction and and go against that same person. And uh, in the the understanding of people who are trying to do good and they come along and they're gonna, yeah, I'll do good with them. Then persecution comes and next thing you know, they join the other side because they don't want to be persecuted. So they want, they want to get free from that. They don't want to have anything to do with that. So they'll join the other side. No, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Uh, and that happens in all different types of ways and different types of things. But loyalty, no loyalty. That's the opposite of having loyalty. Opposite of standing firm. It's opposite of standing in and being there. Uh, backing and, and all those kind of things. A traitor does not do those things. They, they hightail it and join the other side for hopes that they might gain something from it. They're looking, once again, selfishly. Well, it's, 
you can understand a lot of things about various sins by looking to see which sins are outgrowths and which sins are root, the root of various other sins. What's the root sin for traitorous behavior, disloyal behavior? Lies. You're a liar. You say you're attached to one thing. You proclaim that you're in favor of, in support of something. But then when push comes to shove, you reveal who you really are and reveal that what you had said before is a lie. One word for you, Judas. All that time, handling the money bag, by the way, kept his God close to him. All that time, hearing and seeing, and then for a mere pittance, showing where his real loyalty was, who he really worshipped. And even the other disciples didn't know. Is it me, Lord? Is it me? Okay. This is, they, they didn't even recognize that Judas was a devil. Have I not chosen you, said Christ? One of you is a devil. Sometimes you see even the wicked are chosen for the day of destruction. And the disloyalty went absolutely to the core, to the heart. How do we know that? Because Christ said, Son of man goes as is written in the scriptures, but woe by the man by whom he is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. Now I want you to stop for a moment and think about God himself saying, you are going to wish that you had never been born. That's the Creator speaking. It would have been better if you had never been. That's very hard to wrap your head around. That really is. Headstrong. Headstrong is somebody who doesn't care what the facts are. They're gonna, they're, they, they will, they're so obstinate, they're so uh, stuck in their own ways that they actually bring harm upon themselves. If you've, if you've ever met somebody who's really headstrong, you see that they, they go through unbelievable things that are negative in their life just to prove a point, just to continue on, headstrong. And, uh, you know, people that, like, when you uh, do a study on uh, evolution, and you see that the scientists say things like, all the facts point to a design, but on the basis of my philosophy, I refuse to believe the truth and choose to believe a lie. Uh, scientists actually said that because they don't like what the alternative is. That's headstrong. Headstrong is, I don't care what anybody else says, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, even though everybody else is advising not to do it, they do it. 
Do you see people who are headstrong today? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You see that you see that people that are on have their own thing and they're going to do it, and nothing's going to stop them, mm-hmm. even to their detriment, even to their mm-hmm. negative things that happen to them. They'll mm-hmm. do that headstrong. You too can vacation on Mars. <laughs> I'm sure that there is another form of life demonstrating evolution someplace under these rocks if I keep turning them over. Uh, no, it's, it's what's the root, the very core sin here? When we're talking headstrong, it's pride. Pride is the underlying sin that, much like Lucifer, brings you down, okay? And to persist in it in the face of any fact, any entreaty, including the entreaty of God himself, turn from that. Come to me and live. Why do you want to try to drink out of broken cisterns? There's no water there at all. There just isn't. Mars is a gigantic broken cistern. Gigantic. Not to beat poor Mars up too much, but there's so much of what is so typical of this generation in this vain attempt to find anything other than God. Give me a, give me a hook to hang my hat on so that I don't have any reason to even think about the Lord. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is so rampant in our particular society in America. The billions upon billions of dollars that are spent on pleasure and people's choosing that over God. That is, that's amazing. If, if people would spend as much time in the Word as they do in their favorite sport or favorite thing that they do, this, you'd be dramatically changed. If you had the same love for the Word of God as you have love for Kansas basketball team or whatever it is, whatever it is you, you spend, people, you know, they'll, they'll spend on the Super Bowl game thousands of dollars for three or four hours and then say the church is always asking for money. Well, you can have this seat right down here for $9.95. People will spend it and they'll do whatever pleases them over, over their love for God. So you see, you can speak with your mouth, I love the Lord God, but you show with your life what your true love is. And stand around in a group of people, and it won't take long before you find out where their heart is at, what they love the most. And that's not saying that you can't enjoy a basketball game. That's not saying you can't enjoy things. It's when you, when you put them over God, when you, when you choose that over God, 
And that, that becomes the problem. When you find more pleasure in that than you do in your love for the Lord. Well, such people are poachers of pleasure. The Lord saw that everything he made was very good. And there was, there were all sorts of blessings that came from his creation. But rather than going to the source, going to the root, rejoicing in the root, loving the root, the very Lord of creation, who made us so that, as the Westminster Catechism puts it, says that the ultimate end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. Know and enjoy. When all you want to do is to poach the distant fruit out over here, someplace, without any regard whatsoever, without any thought for what, whatsoever, for the very Lord of life who gave it. It would be like throwing a party and everybody comes rushing in, tramples everything in your house, eats everything, gets drunk, and pours back out without either saying hi or bye. Of course, you'd be mortally offended. That's what the human race does to the Lord all the time. All the time. Whatever pleasure it is, I'll tear it loose from any connection to God. I give no thought to the Lord. I won't even wonder where this came from. I'll simply assert that the universe sort of coughed it up over time. And when it's over, I die, and that's that. Wrong, 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 wrong. Wrong in your origins, wrong in your life, wrong in your knowledge, wrong in your wisdom, all of the attributes we've talked about are who you are. And at the end, you're going to find out that that's not the end. There is nothing more horrible than that. And the scriptures were given so that no one would be able to say, there was no way for me to know. There was no way for me to comprehend. And if you, any of you here, do not know the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, then you need to come before him now. The call is to you now. Not eventually. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to come, to repent, what the Hebrews call teshuva, to turn to God. Because otherwise... That's who you are. And having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it, is the last attribute. And there's a lot of people who go to church, do different things, but there's going to be a point when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and they're going to say, you know, I attended church, I taught Sunday school, I sang in the choir, 
He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ today, or if you've been playing with church or whatever it is, today, go back to the room, the prayer room at the very back there, and somebody will lead you to Jesus Christ and have a new, you'll become a new creation in Christ. Don't miss that opportunity. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your kindness, lovingness, your example to us. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And we pray for those people out there who are caught in this upheaval of a world, who have become a part of the brutality, the proudness, the self-seeking, the unforgiving, who are living in that society. We pray that they'll come to know you as Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. And we ask that you bless our time together now as we prepare to take a remembrance of who you and what you've done for us. You went to the cross, despising the shame, and shed your blood for us. Your body was broken upon that tree. And we want to remember that this morning. Pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn the fire.
name, Scott is going to come up and share with us in communion. our worship. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he